All right, well, let's get started. Today, we're going to focus on leadership. So this is nonprofit management and leadership. And most of this course implies leadership. You all are leaders, going to be leaders of organizations. And so the focus is primarily on how do you manage an organization? How do you start one? How do you run the finances? How do you hire staff? How do you do fund development? And so what gets lost in this is the leadership aspect. And yet, it's probably the most important. Because if you can't lead well, or if you can't hire good leaders, your organization is not going to function properly. And in my sense is, everyone in this room, each of you, is a leader. By virtue of having a college degree, when you step out into the work world, or you go work for an organization, you will find yourself in a position of leadership. You will be leading other people. You might not be the CEO, but you will be a leader. So you might sit there and think to yourself, oh, I'm not a, I'm not a leader. You are and you will be. You will be in leadership positions. And so hopefully this particular class session is to think about what is your leadership style? What is the way in which you will lead? So there isn't one certain type of leader. In my experience, you know, I think about, look back over the people who led me, and the two leaders that I most enjoyed working under were very, very different people and their leadership style. The first person was Rod, and he was one of my first leaders. And what was interesting, he was just extremely charismatic, very gregarious, very visionary. He was like the type of person who wanted to take on the world. And it was really fun to be leading under him because he would just be, anything's possible. Someone would say, well, can we afford it? He's like, of course we can. Let's make it happen. If this is something that's worth doing, let's do it. And there's just these bold statements, this bold way of living and leading and such that people wanted to follow. People were like, let's join the social mission and let's jump on board. And he was a larger-than-life figure, and so there's this sense of like excitement and enthusiasm about being led by him. There were some drawbacks, because a lot of times balls got dropped or things you know, fell through the cracks. But on the whole, it was like an exciting person to follow. And so that was Rod, very charismatic, almost like what you would think is the caricature of a leader, the charismatic leader. But then the leader that I worked for was Tom. And Tom was an introvert. He was very mild-mannered. There's no flash about him. And he was just very clear in where he was leading the organization. And so there was just this sense of like overwhelming confidence that we're going to get there. But there wasn't like this salesmanship, there wasn't this fanfare. And what was interesting is I went to work with them in Los Angeles. He was about 55 years old at the time, and I was 20 years, 30 years younger than him at the time. And he was the executive director. And when I went to work for him, he said, how about we be co-directors of this organization? And we're going to do everything together. And his whole reason for doing that was here's a younger person who's wanting to get developed in the field, in the nonprofit field, and I'm going to bring him under my wings and let him not just mentor him, but actually give him a bulk of the responsibility. And so what it allowed me to do was like to experience it and got to feel it, but not being all on my own out there by myself, but as with a seasoned leader. One reason why he was able to do that was he was a very secure leader. Most leaders, most directors, or a lot of them will sit there and be like, I'm in charge, I need to make it clear that I'm the one who's, who's running the show. And there's a certain level of insecurity with them of territorialism, like they don't want someone else to step in on their territory. What Tom was able to do, in which I look back, I'm like amazed that he did this, is like, 
I'm secure in my identity and my position that I can bring on this person who's 30 years younger than me and co-lead with him and have equal responsibility. And part of it was his leadership style. He didn't need to be the person up on stage. He didn't need to be the one that, that's our great leader. It was more like he was a behind-the-scenes type of leader who just made things happen and was very clear on where he was going and why he does what he does. So when I think about leadership, or when you guys think about leadership, it's helpful to think there isn't one certain way to be a leader. You don't need certain characteristics, and if you don't have those, then you can't be a leader. It's more so, who are you, what are your strengths and talents, and how can those be cultivated into becoming a leader? And what I want you to do is to think about organization that you've worked for in the past, whether it's a nonprofit or where you had a job, or even in school where you were part of a student organization of some sort, Think of a leader that you really enjoyed serving under, that you enjoyed working under, where you're just like, wow, that, that person, they did a good job leading. I really respected their leadership. I really admired their leadership. And in fact, when I become a leader of an organization, I hope to emulate that style. So get in your mind a picture of that leader, of who that leader is. And then I want you to turn to someone next to you and just describe that person. Like, what is it about that person's leadership style that you admire that stood out to you? So what are some some leaders that stand out to you that you're like, wow, that person was actually a good leader, and here's some of the reasons why. Yeah, uh, one of my high school baseball coaches, he was just very passionate and actually, like, thinking back towards it, like, when he was the head coach that specific year, that's when our team did the best. So it was like people were on board because he was so passionate, hmm. not just of the sport, but, like, he really cared for the players and, like, he would make sure to check up on us and, like, uh -huh. and just, like, just went above and beyond and really created, like, personal relationships. So, yeah. yeah. So, like, that translated through how much the effort we made. Sure, yeah, yeah, and then the team was more successful as a result, and probably the people were developed better yeah. as a result, too. Other examples, Kenneth? Um, I've been an acapella group in my freshman year. Our director was really, like, she was super outgoing kind of leader and was, like, in our face about everything and that we had to get done, and mm -hmm. we would accomplish those things since she would be even more nitpicky, and at the time, it was really annoying, and I didn't like it, and I couldn't wait for her to not be in charge, but then our next leader was really passive, and just kind of like, you know, I guess it's okay, like, we'll mm -hmm. just fix it later, and I think it was like, after she was gone, I kind of realized, like, that was a better leader for our mm -hmm. situation, and she was, she made sure we got everything done when it needed to be done, and uh -huh. from there, we got better and better, versus being like, it'll be okay right now, like, we'll just figure it out later. Sure. So yeah. it was more like an after the fact. I realized that I enjoyed her leadership skills. Yeah, better. especially when you see it in comparison with mm -hmm. the other options. So there's drawbacks, which are probably every leadership style, yeah. but it's more, the <coughs> benefits outweigh the drawbacks. Other examples, yeah. It's this pastor in Guatemala. Uh -huh. He actually took his whole family from um, Indianapolis and moved to Guatemala mm -hmm. in the poorest like, area, whatever, so he can build a school, mm -hmm. which he ended up building a school in the ministry where he taught them like the basic skills to um, survive in Guatemala. And I felt like that's a person that actually took the risk and sacrifice. So I really looked up to him because I know I would be able to Sure. The self-sacrificing leader in the sense of if you're going to tackle this huge social problem or whatever, 
it helps if the leader is in the ditches with you versus like the corner office sort of calling the shots versus down, you know, actually helping to build the building or teaching in the classroom or whatever the, the cause is. Like someone who's right there in there with you evokes a lot of respect and admiration. Any other, yeah? Um, when I was in high school, I worked at Applebee's, and uh -huh. my manager, Anna, she was really, I, I enjoyed her leadership skills, basically because she cared about our work life, but then also our personal life, mm -hmm. and you don't find that a lot, especially in restaurants, like, they just clock in, you do your work, and you leave, like, uh -huh. and so I was like, you know, and she was kind of like the mom of Applebee's at the time, uh -huh. so I really appreciated that. Caring about people will take you a long way. Myself, I focus on the tasks and I forget about the people, but if I invest in the people, then the task can follow. But sometimes if I'm so focused on the task, the people get lost, yeah. Going off with that, like I said, my manager back at home, like at Ann Taylor, mm -hmm. and um, I just like how she carries herself with like customers that are a problem, but also like how she like handles like us like store associates, like we're kind of like a family there, mm -hmm. and she was supposed to get this promotion, and she didn't, and so she wanted to like go to another store and she pulled like me and another girl aside and she was just like I just really like you on my team like I want you to like come with me and like uh -huh. anything like that uh -huh. so I don't know she just like cares a lot about like well and this affects turnover if you're a mediocre leader or you hire a mediocre leader the people under them are not going to stay around a long time whereas if you have a really good leader you have less turnover of volunteers or other people helping out so yeah um, my rabbi, well, throughout, like, my whole life, like, there he was, I would, like, really, really, really try to, like, question him, and this doesn't make sense, this makes sense, and, like, just, like, wouldn't get angry and just, like, totally, um, like, entertain all questions, and, like, like you said, like, wasn't really threatened, like, didn't really feel like their authority was threatened, just, sure. it was, like, all right, like, that's your thing, and also, they were, like, it's a really, really good storyteller, like, he could tell when the kids there were just, yeah. So one of the things I'm sensing here that I see is that a wide variety of people in a wide variety of positions. I mean, a manager at Applebee's, a rabbi, someone going down to Guatemala. You know, it isn't just sort of the CEOs of these major corporations, <laughs> but leaders. They exist everywhere, and sometimes they're not given the opportunity to lead, and so you don't even see them flourish. Or sometimes people don't step up to lead. One thing that I want to sort of highlight is the difference between managers and leaders. You think about just the two words, leaders and managers, and you think about what leaders do. What are some of the things that come to mind when you think about that is associated with leaders? Yeah, uh, risk taking. Okay, risk takers. Yeah, inspirational. <coughs> inspirational. Yeah. It's like a good choice or a decision to be Okay, so it's something that you would select into whether or not you're going to lead or not. Or even in certain situations, you're looking around like the acapella group, it's like, who's going to lead? Who's going to step up? And it's like, I'm not, are you? So it's something you sometimes volunteer for, at least self-nominate. Other leader styles. Yeah. More proactive. So they're taking charge in some fashion. And if you compare that to managers, what are some characteristics associated with managers? Yeah. Day-to-day -day stuff. Okay, yeah. Day-to-day, -day, the operations, the tasks. Can we go back to leaders? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I kind of see leaders as being visionaries. Yeah, they have a vision of where they're going. That's a great example. 
other manager things. Detail oriented. Okay, yeah. They have all the details, yeah. I was thinking like it's probably harder to have a good personal relationship with your like employees if you're a manager or still leader. In what way like? Because if you're a leader all you I mean not all, but you're the person that like when they see you when you're visible it's probably to like boost morale and to reiterate like your vision and then managers are people you kind of associate with like nitpicking in day-to-day, -day, so it's probably harder to... Yeah, and Deschelles brings up a good point. Like, titles sometimes can be deceptive. So Applebee's, this woman was your manager, but you experienced her more as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. And you could also be a leader, a director of an organization, but people experience you as a manager. It's these profiles. The title doesn't signify doesn't naturally impute you with that role or identity. So you can have the title of manager, and same with Shelby was sharing, like Ann Taylor, have a manager, but the person is actually functioning as a leader. They're embracing their role of, here's a group of people that I'm in charge of, and I'm going to lead them, and I'm going to care for them in a certain way, versus manager could just be, I have a task that I need to accomplish. And so if you're the director of an organization, you could still function like a manager, and if you're a middle manager type of person, you could actually still function as a leader. Um, looking at leadership competencies, whatever, some of them have like strategic thinking, mm -hmm. and like you said that a person can have leadership skills and management skills. Mm -hmm. Like the CEO of this organization, he'll place out like his plan, he gives to the board, uh -huh. whatever, and he'll sit back and actually let them speak, and I feel like it's like democratic. No, and that's the management style. Yeah. When we're talking about leadership and leaders versus managers, don't worry about writing this down, but the point is there's an overlap. Certain aspects associated with leading and certain aspects associated with managing. The middle ground is the sweet spot of where there's overlap. And so if you're a leader of an organization, you still have to manage certain things. Because if you're a leader who just does all of the vision and strategy and never get to the actual implementing, and setting up shop and running the show, then you're kind of an empty organization. But also, if you're just swinging far on the side of managing, you can get your head buried in the ground and never look up to see where are we going, what's the big picture, what are we doing? In many ways, especially if you're the director of an organization, you need to do both or at least you need to have people working with you who are good at implementing or the managing side of things. Part of that is being a leader isn't necessarily doing all of these things, but it's having the right people around you. So if you know that you're really task-oriented and good at accomplishing the task, maybe hire someone who's more people-oriented to complement your style. Managers make sure you do your job and get paid, whereas the leaders inspire you to work overtime without pay. If you have a great leader, you're like, I'm there, I'm going to work long hours, and I'm not even really thinking about the pay because I'm so caught up in the mission and the purpose of this organization. In many ways, being a leader of a nonprofit is more challenging because you have to inspire the people to go for it. If you steer towards the side of management, like, I'm a task-oriented person, I just want to get the mission done, you might not have a huge following of people. So the Socrative question I have is, are leaders born or made, do you even have a chance to be a leader, or is it already set from the time when you were born? So can someone become a leader through good training and taking leadership classes? Okay, so about 
three quarters think leaders can be made, a quarter say they're born. For the people who would say leaders are born, what would be some of your explanations for that? So I would say each person has been born to lead. I feel like each one of us has a specific skill. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you don't have to be very outgoing, you don't have to be very outspoken. Some people are very introverted, but like you said earlier, everybody has their own way of leading. And uh, I feel like it just depends on if you're willing to take the initiative and to step out of your comfort zone, to show your specific skill, to yeah. show that you are a leader. So you're actually that. making a third option. You're saying everyone's a leader. It's just whether or not they choose to lead. Right. Okay. So in some ways, the, our leaders born, if you look out in society, some people lead and some people don't. One explanation for that is, well, some people are born with that skill, you know, they just come out leaders, and they just start leading. And other people would say, well, no, even if you're not born that way, you can still become a leader, you can develop those skills. Yeah. It's kind of what you said, but it all starts with, like, a passion. Like, mm-hmm. when you're born, like, I'm, I wasn't, like, talking about, oh, like, birth, you're going to come out as a leader, but if an interest is activated, it turns into a passion. So I felt like it's like a passion is born. And so that means like, I don't know how to explain it, but like I just feel like being made, a leader can be made, but the passion cannot be made. Okay. Yeah, so if you don't have the passion. Yeah, so how are you going to lead? You can't sort of uh, fabricate leadership job in that. I don't think leaders are made in the sense that like, you take a leadership class when you're like this age, but it's more something that happens when you're like, very small, like how your parents raised you. Mm-hmm. So like, you're not born with it, everyone's born basically a clean slate, and you can be this thing or not. But it's not something that if it wasn't developed in you when you were young, you can't just turn this around and become like you're an adult. Uh-huh, so it's something that has to set in by age 15? <laughs> Younger, <laughs> Younger seven. age 10, seven, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Before your like, concrete development is like there. Yeah. You decide who you are when you're like seven or eight years old. Yeah. I feel like we use a different word for made, like develop. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Then that would maybe resonate a little clearly. Uh huh. Because I feel like, yeah, I agree that everyone is born, like they have a passion, a destiny that coincides with it. But if that's never developed or trained, then how would they become a leader? Is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. Someone may have the passion, but not the direction or the skill set to, really to actually lead, to see that passion. So I feel like leaders are made because um, not necessarily a class or a workshop that they can go and do like, oh, I want to lead people now. It's mm-hmm. more so like, kind of like the contingency theory, like mm-hmm. having a person sit down and find out, okay, what are you good at? And finding out what those person's skills are, and mm-hmm. then they can hone in on that and work in that area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good Carly. This reminds me of like nature versus like nurture. It's like an opinion-based question. It just could be either nature has to be obviously like your passion that you're born with, and then the nurture is like how you're conditioned to like treat that, fulfill your passions. Mm-hmm. Can leaders be developed? One of the people that's in your organization, you're challenging them to be a leader, and they say, "Well, I'm just not a leader." Would you accept that? Yeah. I also think like people learn ways of leading through their experiences. So like, I could not say like, oh, I'm a leader. But as I go on through life, experience and work with great leaders, and then my passion drives me to 
want to lead others. Mm-hmm. So I think I would, I would definitely say that. Yeah, great. I have to say, <laughs> if I didn't consider myself a leader for a certain situation, but let's say, you know, I really wanted a donut and nobody was going to give me that donut. I'm going to step forward if somebody's holding me back, telling me you're not going to get that donut and I really want that donut. Uh-huh. I'm going to do whatever it takes <laughs> to get that donut. So eventually, I, I feel like it just depends on the situation, the circumstances, but at the end of the day, I still would consider somebody to be a leader, regardless of what position you're in, you still, at some point in your life, you still have taken that leadership role. Uh-huh. So, that so would you be, would say everyone has the potential. Every last one of y'all have, <laughs> have the leadership skill in you. It just depends on what the situation is, Everybody has their passion, what they really want. And if you want it, you're going to get it, regardless. Yeah, Anne? Oh, I would argue this a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I don't think that people are necessarily born leaders, but I think that people are born psychologically with a set of, I mean, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but like, my brother and I are prime examples. My brother's older than me, and when he was a baby, he grew up to be an introvert, because he is, but when he was a baby, he was very introverted, you know, but he was born... He didn't really like cry much. He wasn't grasping for attention. And when he would like play, he was very subdued. And like that's just how he was. And then when I was born, I was like a nightmare because I'm an extrovert. And like I was always like trying to get my, well, not like trying to get attention, but probably because that's just who I am. And so I think you're born with like really innate psychological characteristics that then you grow and develop on. That's not to say that introverts can't be leaders. But you are born with a set of characteristics that then will happen in your life. So, for instance, if my brother wanted a donut when he was a baby, he would not have done that. He would not have done whatever it takes to get the donut. He probably still wouldn't. Mm-hmm. He probably would just wait and be like, you know what, it's totally fine. Sure. I guess I don't need it. Whereas if it was me, I'd be like, no, it's mine. I'm going to take that. I think that people are born with a set of characteristics that would influence <coughs> the leader that they develop into. Everyone could be a leader, it just depends. Yeah, what we give Alex? Well, arguing that, I agree with him. I think that people are born with leadership skills, but it really depends on the situation of people that you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I've always been a leader, my teachers have always told me that, mm-hmm. but if I didn't have the set of experiences or surround myself with certain types of people that allowed me to lead, then I wouldn't have been a leader. Mm-hmm. But when I was little, I was born introverted. Like I didn't cry at the doctor's office. I didn't do anything. I didn't have to have my way. But I grew up to be more extroverted and taking initiative. Taking initiative sure. But I also feel like not everyone knows what their passion is. Mm-hmm. So to say that you're born with passion, it's true, but you don't know what your passion is. So if you don't know what your passion is, you can't really be a leader in what you want to be. Mm-hmm. But as you grow up and as you get your experiences, and as I was saying, as you surround yourself with the people that you want to be around with, then you find your passion, you find your goal. Good, that's good. Well, we're going to transition. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, then I'll go with you first, and then we'll do right. So I think it's interesting looking at what you said before with the leaders and managers. And, and as a manager, you can learn to be a manager, and you can be made into that by teaching them skills. But being a leader takes that extra step uh-huh. of what it is. And when you're born, you're given some of these things. I mean, people, 
and the room shared a few specific people who they looked up to as leaders. And you know, we probably had a bunch of managers throughout our lives and a bunch of leaders I've seen, but there are very distinct people that comes into our mind when we think of that primary leader of who it is. And when it's put that, you know, you're born with those. Like very few people within our lives are continue to do that. And you continue to have that throughout your life and there are distinct people who you remember and those are the leaders. And it's selective through natural ability. Either you have it or you don't, in a sense. Yeah, that, that extra spark. step, that extra. Uh, Closing our hats, yeah. baby. Right. I've listened to what everybody has to say, and I, I do agree. I, I agree with what everybody has to say. It all makes sense. But at the end of the day, I think we need to just go back to the John board and define what leadership really means. Everybody has their own perception of a leader, and what a leader was supposed to define, so that's what I would have to Here's what I would say. What Brandon is saying is just the social reality is there's a lot of managers out there. We've all experienced managers. It's the rarity that we actually have someone lead us and lead us well. And what I would argue, especially for the context of this class, and it sort of taps into what Bryson's saying, is that you're going to be going along living life and maybe passive type like Anna's brother. Ah, oh, you know, what happens, happens. But at a certain point in your life, you're going to find something that you're excited about. And you're going to be like, I want to see this happen. I want to see this become a, like, I, I have this idea. I want a donut. <laughs> and you're going to be like, I want to see this happen. But how am I going to make this happen? Because I'm not a leader. How do I lead? How do I make this happen? And not just big, major organization. Like, let's say you decide to have a family. If you have a family or a household, you're the leader. Your children are going to look to you and say, Mom, Dad, where are we going? What are we doing? How are we going to make this family happen? And so leadership isn't this big, huge thing. It's just leading a group of people to a common destiny, to achieve a certain objective. And so it pushes a little bit back on Brandon's saying of, well, there's only a few people who can lead. In reality, most of us are going to be in some sort of leadership position, and it's a matter of whether we lead well or not. When I transitioned from working in the nonprofit sector to working as faculty, a lot of my job now is doing research, and I hire research assistants. I sat down and I said, well, how do you lead a team of research assistants? It's very different than leading a team of volunteers working in the social sector. And so it was like I had to go and talk to other faculty and say, well, how do you lead grad students? What is it that you need to do? And I got some really good advice that was distinct for research assistants versus volunteers. And so there'll come a point in each of your lives where that switch will be flipped on and you'll be like, uh-oh, I gotta lead. How am I gonna lead? And there isn't one personality type. It's understanding, okay, here's the different ways of leading and which one best fits me. And we're gonna look at some of the leadership theories that the book talked about and begin to think through, well, where do you fit into the leadership paradigm? Theories in general are trying to explain a social phenomena, especially social theories, are sitting there saying, well, how does leadership work? And even this nurture versus nature, or are leaders born or made? And the first theory is trait theory. So again, these are well thought out explanations for how leadership happens, how leaders come to be. And the trait theory is this idea that people are born with these innate qualities, that they have certain traits that just destined them to be leaders. And if you don't have those traits, you're not going to be a leader. You can't manufacture those traits. They're either there or they're not. 
And if they're not there, you're not going to lead. And if they are there, then if you're given the opportunity, sort of like what Alice was saying, then you'll actually flourish as a leader. But you might not be given the opportunity, so they could be these latent traits that sit there. But the idea is that these traits are there. And then in an organizational perspective, you look for people with those traits. It's the application of this theory. If you buy into this theory that there's certain traits and the traits that exist, then you look for people that have those traits, or you do those leadership assessment things, what traits do you have? And that would be the characteristic of someone who has the potential to lead. The other one would be skills theory. Now again, these are theories, and they're not these universal theories like laws of physics. But so another one would be the skills theory, which is the Bryson and Alice versions of leadership where you're going to be developing. Or I think Carly was saying, you don't make leaders, you develop these skills as a leader. If you're biased towards this theory, you would be supportive of leadership development programs, like helping get your volunteers, your employees to do leadership development stuff, and you'd be working on things like how do you develop leadership skills, and you'd be an advocate of that. Not necessarily like a class or a course, but you'd think, okay, there's a certain skill set that I want to develop in people to help them be more effective leaders. And so it's this more broad base, if we just give people the right training and development they can become a leader within their organization. And that's, in many ways, what Tom, my second leader that I talked about, he was like, let's just help him develop these skills. Let's put him in a little laboratory setting and let him test out leading and making decisions and setting direction. Another one is behavior theory. So this sort of transitions more into qualities of leaders. Like, what is the behaviors of leaders? And we touched on this some already, but it's the difference between leading versus managing in the balance of that, and the way they break it down in the book is people versus task-oriented. This gives a little grid schema of the people versus task. The y-axis is the concern for people, so it depends on the type of organization that you're leading. The organization has low concern for people or high concern for people, and then the x-axis is concern for production, like getting the job done. So low concern for production, high concern for production, so if you look at the top left where you have high concern for people but little concern for production, that's like a country club. Country club just sort of exists to serve the people. So if you're the director of a country club, you've got to be all about the people and making sure the people are happy. And you're not really producing a product or anything major that you're trying to accomplish. It's a country club setting. Whereas if you're down here, high production, low people, it's like your factory that's producing widgets. Replace those people any day, it's just like, we just gotta keep producing the widgets. And so then the sweet spot where most nonprofit sector organizations dwell in is the high people and high production. And that's where this team leader comes in and it's looking at the behaviors of a leader that both have high concern for people and high concern for accomplishing a task. So the challenge is, though, is that probably if I surveyed everyone in this room, some of you would fall on the side of being more people-oriented, and some of you would fall on the side of being more task-oriented. It's very rare that someone is like perfectly great people and great tasks. The tendency is to think about, okay, I have to do everything. And that's probably one of the biggest misperceptions of being a leader, is that, no, you're not expected to fill all these roles. But you need to make sure all of these roles are filled. And so again, if you're more of a taskmaster and you're actually really effective at getting things done, but people feel run over by you sometimes, it'd be good to have people 
counterbalance that would be more people-oriented. But these are the two central behaviors of a leader. It's the task and the people side of things. And that's what the behavior theory focuses in on, is the two primary behaviors of leaders. The next one is uh, situational theories. And so style, leadership style depends on the situation. And this one is kind of like contingency theory. Those two are very, very similar in that it depends on the situation, like the type of organization or even the season of the organization, and also the leader. A friend of mine started up uh, Kiva.org, like <coughs> microfinance nonprofit. Started up in the late 90s. It grew to be this international organization that's just done amazing work in the microfinance world. And he's like, you know, on Fortune magazine and all the different like shows and very high profile person in the nonprofit sector, especially with microfinance. So it's a nonprofit organization, so he has a board of directors. And four years ago, the board came to him and said, I think it's time for you to transition. So he started this organization from scratch and build it up to be a multi-million dollar fundraising effort that's in countries around the world and very, very successful organization. And the board of directors came to him and said, it's time for you to step aside. And he had to because, again, this is a nonprofit, and the board is the one that's in charge. And I talked to him, I go, gosh, that's like, that's brutal. What was interesting was his response is that he's excellent at starting things up, casting vision, and, and sort of getting it off the ground and getting it launched. He's not very good at the day-to-day -day managing a major organization. And so he realized that in the situation, like he was the perfect person to start this organization, but he was not the best at managing it. And I say managing in the sense of, once you have a major organization, it needs to be managed. You can't just be like, all vision. You actually need to like, make sure teams are coordinated and that you have this master plan that you're implementing throughout. To me, it captures this idea of, of situational theory in that he's an excellent leader. I mean, he built this major organization, but he wasn't necessarily good at the second phase of leading that organization. And the person that they brought in was excellent at managing you know, this major organization, and that person wouldn't necessarily be good at starting up. And so Matt is now starting up a new company, and it's good. It's actually a good fit for him because that's what he's good at. I think one of you said in the memos, like the serial entrepreneur, is that there's people out there who are just really good at starting things up, and you might be one of those. Like, you love to start things, and then once you get it up and running, you want to move on. You're not interested in the maintaining of it. You want to go on to the next thing and start something. So the situational theory and also contingency theory is there's certain seasons or life stages of an organization and where are you a good fit for that? Or there's certain types of organizations that require a certain type of leader and again you sort of say, okay, what's the situation and what style of leadership is needed? And so it could change over the life course of the organization or it could vary by organization. That's some of the theories of leadership. And then the next thing I want to transition to is the approaches to leading. One is motivating people, and so the, the approaches to leading in terms of motivating people, the first is transactional, where rewards and punishments, the best reward is salaries, but also end-of-the-year recognitions of you know, the hardest worker, 
or punishments is more like public shaming or sort of calling people out if they didn't fulfill their responsibilities. And the other one, and this is probably more, fits more within the nonprofit sector, is transformational. It's tapping intrinsic motivations. So you motivate people by inspiring them to go above and beyond. And the challenge is, and probably all of us have experienced this, it's much easier to be the transactional leader. It's just simple. Here you get paid, or like, I'm going to point my finger at you if you don't do your job right. It's really challenging to be the transformational, to motivate people through transformational aspects. But if you can do that, you can go to scale. Rewards and punishments is very limited in what you only have a limited number of rewards and you so much punishment before people get upset with you. But if you do the transformational side of motivating people, then you actually have unlimited resources in that regard. But I think one thing that you can do in applying this is like think about the leaders that you've been under and which ones motivated you in a transformational way. Sort of like Cameron's baseball coach was this more of a transformational leader, but you can think of a lot of coaches who are more the transactional. I'm much more the advocate of the transformational and thinking through how did they do that? How did they cultivate an organizational culture that inspired people to work endless hours? and to really grab hold of the vision and mission and own it for themselves. The second part is in making decisions. So these are approaches like when you think about leading or when you're being under someone who's leading you, how does the organization make decisions? And there's, again, two paradigms. One is executive. The top person makes all the decisions and the buck stops with them. They make the decisions and then you follow in line. The second is legislative, where it's more democratic, like, well, what do you guys think? How should we do it? A collaborative effort. And with these, what's interesting is that there's no one that's right or better, that I would say. It depends on the situation. Sometimes a decision just needs to be made, and you just move forward with it, and you make an executive decision. Other times, in order to make a good decision, it needs to be collaborative. Like, well, what do you guys think? What would be the best approach? And if you want high buy-in with the decision, you need to have it be legislative. You can almost think about it in the context of this class. There's certain decisions that I make that are going to be executive decisions of like, this is when things are going to be due, this is how we're going to run the class, and I just make executive decisions. But there's other aspects that have been more legislative. An example would be when you formed your teams, it'd be a slightly different experience if I just came into class one day and said, okay, you four people are on a team, you're on a team, you're on a team. You're going to start a food pantry, you're going to start an arts organization. And if I had just made executive decisions like that, you guys would probably not be as excited or as happy about your nonprofit. But when it's legislative, you've got to decide. Now, I set the parameters, but I said basically within those parameters, you guys can self-form, decide what organization you want to start. And it's more of a legislative thing. And the, the end result is, you guys own it more than versus like you coming to me and saying, okay, Professor Fulton, you want me to start a food pantry, like, you mean like one in Bloomington or could it be in LA? You know, like there's, I would be overburdened with all these questions, whereas the legislative approach in decision making empowers you guys to run with it more. How are you going to motivate people and how are you going to make decisions? Okay, so this is one that I think will resonate because it taps into the different types 
of leaders that are out there, and it's more so focusing on what are the roles and responsibilities of leaders, and this is a comprehensive mapping, and what I'm interested in knowing is where you guys fit into this. The roles, one is a direction center. A role of a leader is that they set the direction for the organization, and the responsibility is formulating strategy. So again, every organization needs a leader, needs someone who's setting direction for the organization, and what that plays out is someone who's thinking through the strategy. Here's our direction, what's the strategy for getting there? And so you need someone who's setting that direction and developing the strategy to get there. One role in responsibility of a leader. The next one is the spokesperson. So again, we're thinking in the context of organizations, you need a direction setter, you also need a spokesperson. Someone who's gonna get up in front and speak on behalf of the organization, cast vision, like here's where we're going, here's the big picture, leading the people towards this thing. Another role is coach. So the coach is the one who's, once the direction's been set and the vision's been cast, you need someone who's gonna come in alongside you and say, let's take the next step, let's move forward with seeing this become a reality, let's implement the strategies the coach is pushing you along to do that, and you're motivating you. And then the fourth role is a change agent. So you're moving along as an organization, but you realize, okay, we need to adjust, we need to adapt, we need to change direction. And the leader will step in and say, hey, listen, I think we're a little bit off in where we're going. We need to change course a little bit, we need to change direction. It also involves aligning people, like saying, hey, listen, this is what our mission is, and I think we need to get realigned with, with what our mission is. When you think of an organization, you think of leadership, these are like core characteristics of leaders. The, the challenge is, no one in this room exhibits all those qualities. Some of you would resonate like, oh yeah, I'm definitely direct and center and probably coach, but I'm certainly not a spokesperson and I'm not a change agent. And other people would say, oh, I'm a change agent. Whenever I go into an organization, I just want to change it up. I like see problems and I want to change it. What I'm interested in knowing just in this room is what your core identity is with regards to leadership. And we'll look at what your preferred leadership role is. Of these four roles and responsibilities, which one do you resonate with the most? This worked out. What you can see here is that even in this room, a random sample of people, there's pretty good distribution of qualities. And so the idea is you need all four present in an organization, but no one person is gonna encompass all those things. And so the idea is to, to form a team. So ultimately, being a leader isn't necessarily being everything to everyone, but it's more sort of having this large-scale picture of like what does our organization need and what are the components of that. And these roles fit into that. When you're thinking about your organization, I'm really good at this, but I'm a horrible spokesperson, and so I need to empower a certain person to be the spokesperson. So they might not be the director of the organization, but they're a great spokesperson, so when we do fund development dinners or do fundraising efforts, I'm gonna put this person up because they're really good at being a spokesperson. Or you might be averse to like the, the change agent type who's like always wanting to change things up, but that person is actually valuable to your organization because they're the one voice that's gonna be the voice of dissent saying, why are we doing this? Or could there be a better way to do this? And so rather than suppressing them, saying, okay, wait a minute, that's actually a beneficial role and that's not my lead foot is to think about the problems. 
And so I need someone in there who can shake things up and advocate for change. Regard to your proposals, just some general writing tips I want to give you, not only for your proposals, but also for your executive director interviews. Just some things to think about as you're writing stuff, as you're sending me stuff. The first is to have an introduction paragraph and an introduction sentence. It'll summarize what you're going to cover. Some of you, when I was reading your community analysis, it was all really interesting stuff, but I felt like I was a blind person being led through your paper, like, oh, we're going to talk about this now, no, we're going to talk about this, and it was all interesting, but it would have been helpful. We're going to look at the demographics, the arena of nonprofits in this area, and how our organization fits into this community, or something like that. Some sort of introduction to set me up with expectations of what I'm about to read. And same with like if you have a new paragraph, just have a sentence that says, this paragraph is about just good guideposts for the person who's reading versus it's frustrating as a reader to not know where I'm going to be going through the paper. Another one that will help you generally as a writer is this concept that actors act. So when you're writing, it isn't just when things happen, but it's like the director initiated a new program or the constituents stopped coming to the organization. So think about writing a sentence and writing something about, and the next thing you're gonna be writing about is your board proposals. Think about who are the actors, so you could say the board members or the executive director, and then think about what is it that they are gonna be doing. The tendency is to write very passively uh, and using verbs like is and are, and so you don't really have a sense of who are the actors and who's acting. The other one is avoiding colloquialisms. In normal conversation, you would say things like a large chunk of the population or it feels like an endless rabbit hole. Those are very casual or informal language that is not how you would write professional writing. What is a large chunk of the population? You're talking about people, but you're calling them chunks. A rabbit hole, people might not know the Alice in Wonderland reference, and so you lost half your readers because they're like, well, what do you mean by a rabbit hole? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? And then avoiding extreme language. As I'm reading through something and I see the word like every, everyone in Bloomington, or every IU student, or um, no one, automatically yellow flags go up because I'm like, that's a bold claim. When you're saying everyone or no one, you better be certain most times just say a lot of people or most of the people don't set yourself up to be critiqued because you use these extreme languages and the other one is overstatements like you get really excited about your organization or what you're doing and so you make these overstatements or overclaiming things and again as a reader especially as a professional reader when I see those things I'm like okay this person isn't living in reality like I want credibility not this over-embellishment of what's going on. As you're writing your things, these are just pointers to help you communicate more professionally in your writing. So especially with your nonprofit startup stuff, but also with the executive director interview, those are the writing tips. So on Thursday, we're going to be talking more about leadership and different aspects of on-the-ground leading within organizations. So thank you.